Looking for gear, collectibles, houseware, and more from your favorite pop culture franchises? We got you covered! Loot Crate offers a range of geek and gamer items for less than $20 a month. Want to bring your loot to the next level? Get a bigger box with even bigger loot with Loot Crate DX. If you're more the type to wear your geeky heart on your sleeve, then Lootware, the monthly wearables and accessories subscription, is what you're looking for. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com slash writers and enter the code writers uh, to save off of any new subscription. We're almost there, you guys. 300 episodes. And to celebrate, on November 6th, I'm doing a big, big panel here in Los Angeles at Largo at the Coronet. Uh, again, November 6th, Carlton Cuse, Mike Shore, Damon Lindelof, Marta Kaufman, Hart Hansen, Jane Esmondson, Doug Petrie, David Fury, Liz Tiglar, Bridget Carpenter, Andrew Miller, and more. So many people, uh, there are not enough chairs at Largo, that I, so I have to go out and rent them. So please come. Come celebrate 300 episodes of the Writers' Panel with me, with these old pals. Some new pals will be there. Uh, that is on November 6th. Before that... I have a couple of events coming in October. Uh, on October 14th and 15th, I'll be at NerdCon Stories 2016 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, doing a bunch of different things. Click on my face on their website, and uh, you'll find out the things I'm doing. But there's Acker and I are doing a little chat. Uh, I'm on a panel about adaptation, and I'm doing a big live writers panel with John Green, who wrote The Fault in Our Stars, and. Uh, a bunch of other really great books. I'm, I'm a longtime fan of his. On Sunday, October 30th, I'll be at EW Pop Fest. That's Entertainment Weekly's Pop Fest in Los Angeles, which has an insane lineup, and I can't believe they invited me to be part of it. Uh, I'm going to be doing a live panel with a very special guest that I will announce soon. Uh, check that out. And then, as I said, November 6th is the writer's panel live at Largo at the Coronet uh, 300th episode celebration. All of the information for all of these can be found at writerspanel.tumblr.com and follow me on Twitter. I'll be talking about them uh, as we get close to them and as they happen. Uh, That's at Ben Blacker on Twitter. Hope to see you at one of these or all of these live events. Now entering Nerdist.com Welcome to the Writers Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 400 writers on the show, so go back and check the archives. I'm sure you'll find more creators and more shows that you're interested in. I'm a writer myself, having written with my partner, Ben Acker, for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, FX's Cassius and Clay, among others. We've also written comics from Marvel, Image, Dynamite, and more. We created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Maybe you'd like it. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more info. Let me know who you want to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, Uh, and follow me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It always makes me feel good about myself. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. Hi, guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. We have Harry Elfond and Deborah Kaplan. Hello. Hello. Uh, I said this before, and I'll say this again. I am a big fan of you guys. You've been on the wish list for this show. Uh, 
Can't Hardly Wait, obviously. Terrific. But I'm really enjoying uh, Mary and Jane. Thank you. It's really fun. Thanks. Uh, This is a show that's on MTV where, like, I think by the time this comes out, we'll be, like, halfway through the season. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Last night was our third episode. Okay. Of how many? Ten. Great. Let's talk about this show. Okay. Okay. Uh, Is this your first? Oh, no, you had a pilot last year, right? We've done, I mean, over the past, I don't know, however many years, we've kind of dabbled in television and done pilots. You know, we we did (laughs) something going off. Um, You know, we would always do a pilot, and then it wouldn't go, and we'd run back to movies. Mm -hmm. And after a few years of, you know, we'd develop a pilot, occasionally one of them would shoot, and we had this idea, and we just thought, let's just... We actually pitched it. We pitched this idea. This is and what I wanted to hear about. Yeah, we, sort of the way in for Not the Mary full idea, but we pitched the, uh, the the notion of it. We went around to a couple places that, you know, that time of year where you take the general meetings at networks and people say, you know, what are you thinking about? And we said, you know, we have this idea about these girls who deliver weed in L.A. And it's not going to be um, serialized. It's going to be a different adventure every week. And it's just going to be where they show up. And they'll be the only recurring characters. And... The response we kept getting was, and that was sort of all we gave anybody, the response we kept getting was, so it's like weeds. It's like weeds. And I think by the third time we got, so it's like weeds. And we kept thinking, it's really not like weeds. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't describe what it was we really wanted to do. And I think also at the same time we were writing um, two network shows and having a not fantastic experience. We thought, let's just go and write this. Just development. Just developing two network pilots. And we really did think, let's just write something where if we had to, we could just make it. You know, we were at that point where it's like we hadn't made anything in a while. And let's just write something that's just down and dirty. We'll just shoot it ourselves if we need to. So that's why we wrote it as a spec. And really just for the fun of it. And we did not, we purposely did not write a pilot episode, a Mm -hmm. quote pilot episode. We... We didn't do a lot of exposition. We just kind of dropped in. That's like, you know, the craziest adventure we can send them, send them on. Uh, and that was it. I'm curious to hear how, like, what was this a reaction to? What was the process on those network shows that you were developing that you, what were you getting from writing this spec pilot? I think, we, you know, uh, we've been sanitized so much. And look, that's not necessarily, I don't want to lay blame on somebody else. It's just, it's part of the process. You know, you start with an idea that feels sort of very fresh and left of center. And by the time it gets to the finished stage, it doesn't even resemble the thing that you conceived. Mm-hmm. And you're embarrassed to show it to anyone. And we had a stack of scripts that we couldn't send out as writing samples because they had been so developed to death that hmm. they don't they don't feel like something that's authentic to you. Um, so that that was one I think issue with that process. And I think that the the way that you are you know the network notes are always let's set this up better let's you know kind of we they really want to get the exposition out it's why we went purposely in that direction it's like let's just make it funny. Mm-hmm. Let's just make it a fun read, you know, and if we just make, we just do it as a one-off, just shoot one little weird episode, let's just have it be fun. And yeah. and we really just kind of entertained ourselves with it. Yeah. And then uh, and then we sent it around and people responded to it also, so that was nice. And it seems like it's a show that really comes down to the characters, right? It's such a simple premise. And what's potentially difficult about it is conveying the tone. Which it feels like you kind of had to write it. I mean, the tone is so bizarre. Yeah. We we tend to... Our tone is really hard to hit, which is, I think, why a lot of our stuff kind of ends up 
when we give it to somebody else, ends up a little weird and disappointing, at least for us. Hmm. Um, and it, we felt really strongly about being being um, really involved, even with the direct. You know, we didn't direct the pilot, but we mm-hmm. hired a director that we're very close with, who really helped us get the tone that that we want. It is, and it is a weird tone. You know, there's a talking dog and. I they love the talking dog. Do deliver weed to a skeleton and a turkey <laughs> in a bed, and and that's, those were actually the two things that you know MTV said. You know, we have some notes, and two of the big notes: does there have to be a talking dog? <laughs> and really, a skeleton and a turkey. And we said, you know, no, those are the things we need to have because those mm-hmm. are the things that let everybody know who watches the show that this could go anywhere. You can do anything, yeah. you know, and things can get weird, and that's okay. And And I think the question they had was, can you keep it grounded? Mm -hmm. Can you believe these girls are real and have a real relationship? Because they cared, and and we do too, that there's kind of going to be an emotional stakes and there's going to be something that the audience can kind of lock into with these characters. And we said, yeah. Why not? Well, and that's you know, the let's really just interesting do it. thing. So, so how do you do that? I mean, this is a deep process question, but because there's no continuity, because, or I mean, I guess there is, but it, there's not this, you know, mythology like you see in a lot of shows. Um, and because it can kind of go anywhere, how do you keep those stakes real? Because it, it never feels slight. I, don't, I think that's just our collective taste. You know, I think we... Uh, we we don't. I, I'll, I'll put it this way: We didn't talk a lot setting out about like what do we want the tone to be. Right. We just kind of knew what we wanted it to be. We we wanted it to make us laugh, but we also wanted to make sure it wasn't uh, just purely at the service of the jokes. We we always like there to be. And we did talk a lot about this. Look, it became a lot more difficult when we went to series. It was a lot easier <laughs> to do in a thirty-page script. Sure. But once we went to series and we had to do ten more of them, then we really did have more conversations about tone and what were some examples we could look to. Uh, and when scripts would come in, it would we would have the conversations where this isn't quite there's not a, quite enough emotion going on in here. Yeah, I mean, you guys are showrunners on this show too, and yeah. you have a staff, presumably. Yeah, a small one, but we did get a staff yeah. for this. So you, your job is to paint a target, right, for for your writers. Mm-hmm. So how do you start to do that? What are the conversations you're having either before scripts are written or as they're coming in with your writers? I mean, we talked about it, and the idea, you know, it was it was a process, and mm-hmm. we knew going in. Everybody told us because it was a strange tone that it was going to fall on us to kind of be rewriting scripts, and you know, we knew that. We knew that going in that nobody was going to come in and write a draft that was just going to nail it. Um, so we used the room as you know, there was a lot of idea generation and story structure, and through that process everybody kind of got a lock on the tone. You know, we didn't kind of sit down at the very beginning and say, like, this is the tone, here are... It was really just through the conversations of talking about ideas, ideas we would really gravitate to or ideas we would shoot down. Um, I think everybody gradually learned the tone, and I think the tone was informed by some of the voices in the room as well. Oh, interesting. I'm curious to hear about how you guys put this room together. Had you done this before? No, no. Oh, this is great. It was really exciting. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of work. We got... Um, Marcus Blakely, who um, heads up TV at three sixty, Entertainment three sixty, which are uh, there's our management company, and mm-hmm. they start, they came on as producers of this. Um, he started fielding all the writing samples, and they put together this whole database. There was a giant Dropbox, and I think over Christmas break last year, 
um, we just started going through the Dropbox. I think I started going alphabetically backwards for no apparent reason, <laughs> other than like it seemed like a more interesting way to do it. Sure. And I think he started going the other I went, way. I went, through, and I also we also got suggestions from the network. Like MTV mm-hmm. sent us, and also, by the way, right. we also as soon as we finished the pilot, they sent us samples, and we were like, "We're not reading," because <laughs> we did that once before on a network pilot. We mm-hmm. had it shoot, and we spent all this time <laughs> reading and meeting with writers, and it didn't go, and it was such a waste of time. So we were like, "We're not reading a thing," <laughs> and it's a bummer until we officially too. exactly. Well, you don't want to do that. Until you know, we like you curse yourself up. by even starting to think about it. So, so I think over Christmas, I took my iPad, I went to Palm Springs, <laughs> and I sat in a hotel room all weekend. And um, I think I might, I forget, I was binge watching something at the same time, and I would let myself watch one episode, I can't remember what it was, but then I had to read like five or six scripts in between. I guarantee you that Deb read more scripts than I did. There's no question that she read more than I did. Well, sure, you took a weekend in Palm Springs to do it. Oh, yeah, I think it was, yes, it might have been longer than that. I just, and I read everything. And, you know, if I liked something, I would uh, text him and say, read this, read this, read this. Um, and if, you know, if I got five or six pages in and I just wasn't mm-hmm. feeling it, you know, like, and, you know, a lot of it's very similar. And I don't know if people just, you know, agents heard, oh, two girls, 20s, hmm. weed. So you get a lot of scripts that feel very similar. Um, and we were sort of, I think, drawn to ones that felt very, like, weird, weird worlds. Like, I don't remember who wrote it. And I don't think we wound up being able to get them. But who wrote that script about all the people who live like in um upstairs from beyonce and like oh yeah. Whole, yeah 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 that she had a whole there was a whole there's like a whole team who corporation run, basically who run mm-hmm. beyonce's world that like in the floor above where they live and there's like you know hundreds of people who work there who just run the day-to-day business of being beyonce um which was so it was so out there and it was a show that would never get made but it was mm-hmm. such a fantastic sample there were a lot of those mm-hmm. like fantastic samples of things that were impossible to make and those were the people we thought like i want to meet that person who has those mm-hmm. crazy out-of-the-box ideas and what was interesting because we didn't it was a weird experience for us because we've never even worked in television and we've never been in a room, you know, in terms of being writers on staff. So we had we didn't know anybody. It wasn't like we could call on, you know, yeah. most of the people, so most funny. of the writers we know are feature writers. Yeah. And, you know, we would ask our feature writers who are now doing television, how did you do this? Um, so we didn't have a roster of friends to draw on. So we really were going with this completely blind. That's great. And when we and we both responded really strongly to Really, really strong, unique voices. Mm-hmm. What was interesting is then when you have those people in the room, can those really, really unique voices we responded to change the voice mm-hmm. to be more like the show? And that's, that was a bit of a challenge when we got to the draft stage sure. where we'd have to kind of manage that. But I think ultimately it was so great to have people who – just people who think – so wildly differently than you or anybody else because I think we, like, we looked at it as like because we only got um, I think was it five people total? we got four, four well, people. I, we hired a writer assistant who we ultimately mm-hmm. gave a draft to so we got to hire like four and a half mm-hmm. writers and I think we looked at it like we were assembling a team of superheroes it was kind of like X-Men like everyone had a particular skill something that they could do um, you know and you know we hired um, a woman who worked she came out of like youtube and google she had started there so she had a real knowledge of of tech and sort of that whole side and then do you remember what her script was yep it was it was about two, it was about two girls who had started an app 
Okay. And it, it they, um, I think it even started with them like on the floor of a, some like digital conference of them trying to sell their app. Yeah, I mean, it felt very much like the girls in our show. Mm-hmm. It just happened to be set in the tech industry, sure. so that's why it was a really obvious fit. Interesting. And then there was another girl who comes out of. She had written. Um, she comes out of this world. She's you know um, a gamer, and she has a uh, podcast. Her name's Andy Bolt. She has a podcast called Bunker Buddies, and she's a prepper. And like, she is she she comes out of the sort of the weed and. And video game world, and um, she just does a million different crazy things. And but she um, wrote a script. What was great was, I don't think it had a title page. You had read it, and you said this no, script is crazy. No, it was crazy. called um, yeah, it was Red, Red, Red Baroness Warrior. Red Baroness Warrior Lady, and it was like Sex in the City, but set in like um, Red Sonia. Red Sonia, yeah, she was like yeah, <laughs> where hilarious. they were like whittling dildos out of wood. <laughs> Um, and Jesus. we're like another one. It's like no one's ever. It's who's going to make yeah. this show? But actually, like, somebody might be making that show now. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> um, and well, then talent will out. Yeah. And then we hired um, a woman named Maggie Bander who started off, I think, on Malcolm the Middle. We needed like a co-EP. We needed someone to help us to. We don't know how even to make a schedule. You know, how do you get 10 episodes or nine episodes since the pilot is finished? But how do you get nine episodes written and scheduled in 12 weeks? Because we wanted to get the goal was to get all the scripts done before we started production, Mm -hmm. which we did not know was an insane Task. Everybody, we said that, and everybody's like, "Oh, all right, that's ambitious. Yeah. That's ambitious." Because we did not have a long writing period. It was maybe eight to eight weeks, ten weeks. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but we did it. I mean, we really we we hustled and we did it. Um, no, we didn't. Well, no, we, we, we pretty much did it. The problem we did was have a, we did have a director show up though uh, to prep his episodes, and I believe I said to him, "I have um, an outline for you," and. What did we have for Phil Trail? Nothing? And an outline? Well, here's the problem. We got cocky. Because we, we, I know we're not, we, we, we moved from our, from our hiring writer stories. But we did get cocky in that we finished all our drafts. And it was, it was right when we were starting to shoot. And one of the scripts came in and we were like, you know what? We can do better. And we literally threw the script out. It was also uh, impossible to make. It was too expensive. Okay. Yeah. It involved like a, an app. It was about gentrification in Venice and it involved an app company moving into Venice and taking over a skate park to build mm-hmm. a giant like climbing wall gym. And it was that the girls were going to hold this big bake sale with edibles to save the skate park. And we're like, there was no way we could build what we wanted to build. Or we weren't allowed to shoot in Venice. And mm. there was, was a whole city council season. where Venice had hired a seagull. They had, had like a write-in vote. And the citizens <laughs> of Venice had hired their councilman Seabird. And everyone thought it was a Native American. But it was actually legitimately a seagull. And it was just, it was so big and wild. And our producer was tearing her hair out going, like, you're never going to be able to shoot bake sale. You can't shoot bake sale. So we're like, oh, fuck it. Let's get rid of it. We're going to start something new. So we had no script. But the how, problem was... Wait, how deep into the season? Oh, well, we were, we were halfway through shooting because this really came up... Because this, we yeah, were directing oh, wow. 9 and 10. So we had 9 and 10, but we had no 7 and 8. No, 7 the, we had. 7 was the oh, week we content. had, and we just needed a rewrite. <laughs> but this one, we literally had nothing. And we were cocky because in the writing phase, all you're doing is writing. We were like, oh, we'll get this done. It'll take us a couple of weeks to write the script. But you underestimate, yeah, because we're making a television show now. So it was, oh, all right, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. We'll have people bring in drafts. And it wasn't as the week before shooting that I had a real panic. It was like, oh my god, we can't shoot this episode. What the fuck are we going to do? And our whole staff is gone because they let our whole staff go. Oh, they didn't stick around for No, production. no, we only had, we, you have very oh limited god. dollars yeah. at MTV. So you have your staff for a certain period of time and then they're gone. Mm-hmm. So everyone's gone. So now we have a director who comes in and we have a script that needs a serious rewrite that he has to prep, which is Marijuana Con. And then we have nothing. That he has to prep. And we said, all we know is it's going to take place in the apartment 
and there's going to be an apartment downstairs that we're going to flip and make it look like a much nicer apartment. And that's what it's going to be. We also had to oh cast because it was a guest star heavy episode because it's about the girls have neighbors that move in downstairs and they throw a neighborhood watch party and the girls have to pretend they're not drug dealers. And we literally just had to call people. We, you know, we called Seth Green and said, Seth, look, we're doing this. <laughs> Do you want to just play their downstairs neighbor? We'll get you a script. He was like, I'm in. Good. So well, you have, you know, you have that community. You have these people you work with. It was very nice of him to commit with no scripts. Was the... Was the plot for that episode something that had been rejected from the original batch of scripts mm. or was it new no it was new it was Aurelian. new yeah. it was just that we knew that they were going to have neighbors who moved in who were sort of fancy and who wanted to get the drug dealers out of the neighborhood mm-hmm. and not realize that the girls living upstairs were the drug dealers and we had this idea that they were have would have built in their new apartment this very expensive like orgy bathroom and that the girls were going to somehow destroy this bathroom. And that was kind of all we had. And it, was, it, became, we, it became like a bedroom farce. Mm-hmm. And I think the first draft was 38 pages. They could just talk faster, right? That's, Which, by the way, we did every we episode. <laughs> every, and we were told, we were warned. You know, they would, you, you, you'd turn the scripts in, and people time them. And we always got the note, they're long. The script's long. We you know, we would be out. like 32-page drafts, maybe maybe a little longer. Uh, and what was interesting, when we got into the editing room, they all they all made time. And we, we had to trim, but nothing really got lifted. We used every scene. And the one script that we, because we were directing it, and we had three days to shoot it, and we cut that one down to what was uh, you know considered normal, that one came in under. Really? Yeah. It was the one that aired last night, and there wasn't quite enough footage to make the airtime. What did you do? We made it. We, we made know, it. It wasn't. They probably got like it. one extra commercial for. I don't think it was that much longer. Maybe fifteen seconds. But that is. I mean, it's funny that like, listen, you're you're MTV. You're picking up a show from you guys. You know how characters in your work speaks, right? Like they, but they it's speak hard. fast. There's a clip to that. It's. I think it's also what makes the show feel very contemporary. And really, all the stuff you've done, it feels very of the moment. But I'm sure they hear all the time. Well, no, it's fine. You know, our characters are going to talk really fast, so mm-hmm. it won't matter. You know, they, it sounds like an excuse. True. It sounds like lazy. We're lazy. We don't want to cut it down, <laughs> or we're being precious about our work, and we don't want to trim a scene. But we do know it's going to work. I mean, we're we edit as we write too. We know mm-hmm. now from draft to draft, we're just gonna. This is going to wind up on the floor for sure. Don't even bother. Um, so, and it was, and again, it's a first. It was the first ten episodes of a show. We were. You know, yes, we do write at a clip, but we weren't totally sure. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They tell us, look, you're going to be long. It's like, geez, I hope we're not long. I don't think we're going to be long. Sure. But you don't really know until it's done. Now we know. You know, Now if we get to do another season, we'll know. Look, our drafts tend to come out of 32 pages. It's going to be fine. Um, the girls speak, you know, a lot of the direction of the actors is speed it up. <laughs> they got really, really happy when we told them slow down. Like if they ever were going too fast, it was a, quite an achievement for them. But when you think about really... 20 minutes and 30 seconds. I mean, that's like being back in film school. Yeah. That's like what your you know, student film was, 20 minutes. When you, and in film school, you're like, how am I going to make a 20-minute film? <laughs> right. That's like Lawrence of Arabia. It's like epic. And here it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, how am I going to, I mean, I have so much to say in 20 minutes and 30 seconds. How am I possibly going to say it all? Yeah. Well, and there's so much story in your show, too. That I mean, is, yes. That's full story. We tend to look, because, yeah, saying that the shows, you know, that it exists on the characters, it's definitely true, and you have to kind of be invested in these girls, but we tend to like to tell kind of 
not complicated stories, but we tend to like a lot of story. Mm-hmm. You know, we like a lot of <clears throat> just switching directions. We and like things to connect at weird points mm-hmm. and all sort of converge at the end. Yeah, it's, it's, it's satisfying as a viewer. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not It's not a show that kind of drifts along or, or you know, it's it's why, for better or for worse, we can't do a lot of improv on the show mm-hmm. because this stuff is constructed um, just in a way that you can't, if you go off on a tangent, you're going to have to get back to where you were because everything is trying to set something else up. It's a little frustrating because I'd love to just go on like a, Two minute joke run, you know, yeah. and just let them go. But we have there tends to be too much story to allow that to happen. Uh, I want to make sure we get back to the last person that you hired because I don't want to leave oh, them okay, out. Wait. Yes. Okay, so uh, was it Matt? <laughs> yeah, we talked about Daniel. We didn't name Danielle. Danielle, uh, Danielle Ullark wrote, Ullark, the, yes. wrote the um, and she, she wrote uh, Snatch Lorette last night uh, with Jamie Yoshiro, who was our we, we literally we had to hire Jamie as a writer's assistant because we didn't have any money to hire someone else, mm-hmm. and she had written a great spec too. And we said, oh, she's probably never going to take this job. But we we asked if she would come on, and she said yes. And she was so great right. in the room that we were able to give her half a script and share it with Danielle. And then MTV said, you need to hire a guy. <laughs> and, of course, like the feminist in me got all uppity. And I said, what do you mean? I'm hiring a room full of women. It's a show about women. Harry's a guy. What do you mean? And they, you know, they didn't want to become too male bashy, like it was going to be a show about like men getting kicked in the balls. Um, that was the initial pitch, right? Yes, yes. Every That's show was going to end with the man getting kicked in the <laughs> balls. Weirdly, it was the original um, title. <laughs> yes, man getting kicked in the balls on MTV um, right after Catfished. So, um, Which is kind of men getting kicked in the balls a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. think sometimes, about it. sometimes. They're really changing their yeah. brand. Um, so we hired a guy named Matt Lawton. Who but not just because he was a guy. No, not we'll just because he was a guy. He wrote a fantastic really, writer. He wrote a really he had the one spec. thing he needed. And by the way, he's on Brooklyn Nine Nine now. He's mm-hmm. like on a real classy show where they get to like <laughs> order sugarfish for lunch and like not pay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and he wrote a really interesting spec too about like an angry old drunk cartoonist um, that was very interesting and weird and. Um, yeah, and it was just, it was, again, it was a, a super unique voice. Like, it was just like nothing we'd read. And I think it's, I mean, I, I'm guessing people are listening to this who kind of want to do this, but it was really instructive to read all of these samples because mm-hmm. the ones that are unique or somehow, just somehow stand out, really do rise to the top of the pile. Because what was stunning was how many samples are exactly like everybody else's samples. Six single friends. This was my question. What Two are the things couples you're who, like, now we all have babies and don't our lives suck now? Or, like, oh, how my parents have moved in with me and aren't they awful? Like um, Behind the scenes in Hollywood, like, a story about a sitcom writer, which is great that you're expressing your personal experience, <laughs> but it doesn't. And some of them are actually great, but it doesn't make you want to read it more because you just read five others that were like that. Hmm. Um, and, I, you know, it's hard to know what to do. You know, I remember we're saying, you know, oh, the other thing that was crazy was how many of them, st- I forget, there's a term for this and I forget what it was, but how many start at the end? You know, it's like, oh, there's craziness five days earlier, you know, yeah. which I get the urge. Yeah. We've done it. Like the frightening thing, too, is like how many of these things we've done in scripts. Well, has that informed the writing you'll do moving forward? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, think I think having yeah, had that experience, it's a similar thing you see a lot of the time actors when you're reading actors. What's weird is actors will come in and 
80% of them will do the identical read. Mm. They'll make it's the same a choice. serviceable sure. read. You, they're hitting all the same beats, but it's the person that comes in and does something wildly unique or really interesting or just makes it their own. That's the person you always hire. Mm-hmm. Even if it's different from what you originally thought you were looking for, they bring it to life. And it's a, it's a good lesson when you're when you're writing, not in a way that you should be kind of crippled with, oh, what should I do? But you know, is this going to be... But, like, do we really need another mm-hmm. spec about six single friends? Right. Well, it is. I mean, I think this is why the biggest piece of advice that, you know, after 300 episodes of this podcast always comes out is write the thing you're passionate about. Write right. the thing that only you can write. I mean, look, if you're passionate about your five other single friends and you have a really interesting take on it that's different, sure. um, by all means... But I think, you know, we also were guilty of this for a long time, too. We would sit there at the beginning of every pilot season and go, okay, what is the marketplace looking for? Mm -hmm. And we would try to write that or we would try to pitch that. And it never came out good. Mm -hmm. We'd sell it, but it wouldn't get made. And, you know, and sometimes you'd sell things. I mean, this is terrible. I mean, there were times when we'd sell a pilot and it wouldn't go and I'd be relieved. Because after that process of working on it and having it kind of watered down, it's like, I don't want to make this show. Um so it is like let's not write and we, when we sat down to write this too we were like let's not write what we think the marketplace wants mm-hmm. or what we think people are looking for you know the agents would always say oh they're looking for family dramas over at blank or you know they need a comedy about you know um you know workplace comedy over at fox and right. and it just it's hard to right away you're compromising by trying to make something fit into that space um and you know it's it Unfortunately, and because we wrote this script some time ago, I think it's been over two years since we wrote this, and I feel like people are oh, they're jumping on the weed train because everyone's writing a weed script. We wrote this a long time ago, before people... I mean, I know high maintenance was in existence, but mm-hmm. nothing else. I mean, we weren't jumping on any bandwagon. We just wanted to write a show about that. We were looking at all these dispensaries popping up and going like, wow, this is weird that this mm-hmm. is happening. And it was something that was present in our lives. Um, but we certainly weren't going like, mm, weed, you know, people seem to really like weed shows. If you try and catch the trend, you'll inevitably be behind it. It's just the way the business works too slowly. But uh, I'm curious to hear about your experiences in tele. I mean, again, this Mary and Jane really feels like a reaction to previous experiences in television, where you are trying to fill that hole, or you're going through the whole development process uh, on a show that maybe you don't love. I'm curious to hear about some of those experiences before this on network things, uh, like what and and. I really just want to hear about how you guys pitch a show. What does that look like? I mean, mm-hmm. you've mostly done comedies. Um, let's talk about television for now, and then we'll kind of go back and talk about film. Sure. Um, I feel like there's no way this conversation can go down without us like shitting all over somebody. So I'm trying. No, to no, we're not. No names. No names. But no even details just like, will be. Hard, the details are even hard. And to... keep it positive. Yeah. yeah, let's keep it positive. That's a good, good. Well, we're talking about network television. I know. No, I'm kidding. But here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, you must have gone. If you've started pitching years ago mm-hmm. to yeah. network TV, you must have gone in saying, here's a show we want to make. There's a reason we want to go to, into TV, and this is a story that can only be told on TV. Yeah, and look, and we're, I think we're, we're, we're generalizing a little too much, because right. there have been network shows that we've gone and pitched and really loved, and we're sure. crushed when they didn't go. That's the, um, those are the ones I want to hear about. You know, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And we've had, we had a couple experiences where we actually made the pilot. Um, and those were even that sure. that's just the roughest. Um, and those shows we really genuinely loved. Um, and they came, you know, 
I mean, one of them came from just real kind of kind of personal experience. Another one we would, was brought to us by an actor who was really wanted to tell her life story, mm-hmm. uh, and we did that. We, we did a musical. Um, just when was that? That's a couple years ago. We did a musical. Uh, musical half hour. Half hour that was like a jukebox musical where mm-hmm. um, about a guy who got a um, a tumor in the back of his brain that caused him to sort of have musical hallucinations. Um, and it was so much fun, and that would have been a great show. That was kind of a heartbreaker when that. Didn't Where happen. did that? Did that? Uh, did the pilot get produced? No, that one did no, not get produced. They replaced us. Okay. Oh, you did the the jukebox musical show, mm-hmm. um, which had to be a great pitch. It was a great and pitch, and it was a lot. And it was do. a lot of fun to write. And I think you know, look, it's become what's become interesting is TV. Um, has become a place, you know, every writer now wants to go to TV. There's just, they're not making the kind of movies that we write, mm-hmm. that we all like to see anymore. And everybody uh, knows that you can go now voice yourself that way in television. And the um, the process has started to become a little more similar to the movie business in that now as a writer, you get replaced on your own show even before the show might get made, which is a heartbreak. It did not used to be that way. And it's more and more every year. And we wrote, we came up with that idea. We got this star attached. We pitched it. We got it sold. We wrote two drafts. And then the network replaced us with other writers. And we're like, Fuck this! Like that, now, it's the movie industry. Yeah, and I will say that it's it's one of the other benefits to writing a spec. And I know the spec business in television is very different than it used to be in the feature world, which is really where we start. We started in kind of the spec boom in the feature world. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the thing that you have is you. It's everybody's clear on what they're getting. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, there might be development, but there's you also have the power to say like, look, shoot it or not, or we'll find somebody who will, as opposed to being stuck in that uh, just that that development world. You know, we did. There was another project we did that was a another musical project. This was an hour long musical that we had developed, and at a certain point, you know, they bought it. We had musicians singing in the room. It was the, one of the most fun pitches ever, uh, and the show was bought. And then after we turned the first script in. They said, you know, because it wasn't a traditional musical and that people weren't breaking out into song. It was roughly, it was more like Nashville, where it was mm-hmm. about somebody, not even in that world, that somebody was a musician, but we kind of wanted to use music to tell the story like the way Simon and Garfunkel was kind of thematically as <laughs> in The Graduate. We kind of wanted the, the music to be and a this, character. And this is That's a band, this is like a top musical act in the country, and they are really prolific songwriters, mm-hmm. and they were going to write all the songs for us, and every week there would be new songs by them. Wow. So we, after we turned the first draft in, they the network said, you know, we'd love for this to be more like a traditional musical. And we said, wait, so, but it's because it's not Nashville. It's not about musicians. It's just about people. And it's, it's almost like Friday Night Lights where people would be bursting into song. And we said, you know, look, we can write you a full on musical, but we don't want it to be, we don't, we want it to feel like it's of a whole. We don't want this to come off like cop rock. And the network note was, well, you know, people still talk about cop rock. <laughs> oh my and that's, God. I mean, it was akin to somebody saying, like, you know, when you talk about boats, people still talk about the Titanic. <laughs> exactly. Context doesn't matter. Yeah. But it was instructive to us. It was like, geez, they really need things to be noisy. Hmm. You know, they really just want people to be talking about stuff because there's, and I get it, because there is so much on, mm-hmm. it's impossible to stand out. So they wanted it to but be. But that's interesting. I mean, you guys have developed or pitched and developed 
network comedies, which are not necessarily the noisiest. You know, it's often the dramas that sort of have a high concept or some hook, whereas a comedy, I feel like, and, and maybe I'm wrong, I haven't pitched comedy in a while, but... It feels like you just need something small, but it's the characters that are going to sell it. I think I think they still want some kind of a hook. I mean, I still think I think it, I, when we come in, you know, it's different if you if you have an actor attached, mm-hmm. um, or if you've had, you know, we we have the experience until now. We've always had the experience of being feature writers who are pitching television shows. So it's not like you're getting. You know, it's not like we've had four years on a show that's been a hit, so we can come in with a low concept idea that's just about characters. We tended to sell things that uh, do have a little bit of a conceptual hook to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess there's so much to watch right now. There are so many options for everybody that you do need something to be noisy. I mean, how else are you going to get people to sit down for five minutes and sample what you have? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that. I, yeah, I don't know that that low concept is is that easy to. You know. I think it's tough. I mean, I'm just thinking of stuff that's on now. Everything's got a little bit of a spin. Yeah, not like in the way that people did used to sell the show about six friends all living together, and they you know they would try to yeah. do that. There, I feel like there are because they. I, I think the network is looking for a way to sell it right from the time they buy it. How are we going to market this? How are we going to sell it yeah. in the in the world, the, the, the really crowded world of television. Yeah. Um, you know, we found that in movies when, you know, the, the, the movie, the, the studio would greenlight a movie because, and we literally heard this. It's like, we're greenlighting it because we can see the poster. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I don't know if this is true or not, but is it one of those sort of premium cable networks? Like they take everything, like, you know, the stars and the script and the idea. And I think they put it all into like this kind of, you know, they develop like an algorithm and like mm-hmm. put it into a machine and decide even before they decide to make it whether or not it will be profitable for them. And there have been some big packages, I think, that have gone to them with what you would think would be surefire stars and hits. And they say no. Yeah. You know, it is at the end of the day, it is about like, can we sell this to you, this mm-hmm. thing? I mean, I think what we do with Mary and Jane is so it's so low risk. It didn't cost that much. Um and we didn't have stars that got paid a lot of money, mm-hmm. and we don't make a lot of money. Um, and at the same time, we care very deeply about everything we do. I mean, it's funny. Like, we've heard them say a couple times, like, well, you guys are, like, perfectionists. Like, you really care. I'm like, well, what's the option? What's, there's no alternative <laughs> to, like, are we going to just, like, half-ass it? Like, we're mm-hmm. going to not care about whether or not we the edit or the performance works? I mean, we really do care. So to, I don't feel like there's a huge downside for somebody to make a show like this. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I'm curious about that having that perspective in features, where, especially, you know, 10 years ago, the writer, I feel like, was even more replaceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if you weren't directing the thing yourself, which you guys have done a couple times, how, how attached can you be? Like, how do you, how do you care... Knowing it's really not your baby in the way that this small TV show is. I don't know that I ever learned how not to care about it. You know, we would, I guess, especially when, you know, there were different experiences. If it was something that we originated the idea, you know, we we had a really good run of selling pitches. um, And in those cases, it was really hard if the movie didn't get made or even harder if the movie got made and they brought somebody on who Mm -hmm. just saw a different movie. 
you know, and I think some some of those projects really suffered. The other experience is when we're brought on to rewrite something, and then it is a little more. I mean, you still care about it because a lot of the times when we rewrite stuff, we just kind of throw it out and write a new script. But um, it doesn't feel you're not quite as attached to it, and those are a little bit easier. <laughs> but uh, but it's still it's yeah that 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 world is difficult and i think it is the only really satisfying experiences we've had is when we've directed our own scripts i i i don't know how people don't care i yeah. i don't know and maybe maybe it's maybe that's a flaw maybe that's a flaw that we have but we i we really do we care so much about everything that we write everything that we do is is and it's not that it's precious or we think it's golden it's just like it's there for a reason mm-hmm. and if sometimes the choices people make feel very arbitrary and and I don't know. It, 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 what was stunning, we wrote a script, uh, we had pitched a movie, wrote a script, and re- the movie got kind of greenlit right away off of the one of the first drafts, got a star attached, and it was just rolling. Uh, and they brought somebody in just to kind of get a, like a dialogue pass, um, which was frustrating because it was, seemed like it was fine, but it was, you know, the director wanted to bring somebody on. And reading the script that came back was just it was so heartbreaking. It's just I such I, a I kick. Cried. Yeah, it was well, really, that, really that difficult. Really what my question I, is I like, how do you protect yourself? They, but the we problem- had written a really strong female character, and the director brought on like one of his cronies, and they took her from being this strong female character to this like woman who needed to be slapped, and it just it broke. They my made her a dope. It broke hmm. my heart. I mean, I just I can't not care. It's a. Ter- I mean, I wish I could. Maybe I need to go to therapy or something. But like. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's. I feel like that's ultimately what will make our stuff survive. You know, we were on a. Um, we did a show the other night, and the um, the host said, "You know, what is it about your stuff? Like, I feel like it's appreciated much later on." <laughs> he said, "You know, Ken Hardly Wade, Joe's in the Pussycats. Like, twenty years later, like people really start to appreciate it." And I thought, if you could just show us what would make us. <laughs> appreciate it right now. I would really appreciate that. But maybe it's because like we really we take the time. We don't just toss it off. We really, mm-hmm. you know, we care again, care really deeply about it. And I I don't understand when people come in and just make an arbitrary choice because that's how they want it. But what was in, what the other thing that was in, that was even more hurtful about that experience was, you know, we talked to one of the producers who was like, "Well, I think it's the same movie." You know, and that and that was when it's like, oh, they have it. They yeah. see things completely differently. Yeah. Like we, the stuff we care about, they just—it's not even on their radar. They're not even looking at those kinds of nuances, and ultimately became an issue for the actress who signed on our script. And then, you know, and then she wanted us to come to the set and write pages for her, and then the director wouldn't shoot them, and it <sighs> was just like you just feel like you're not helping her, and oh, it's terrible. <laughs> Sorry, we were supposed to be positive. No, Tell but you know, I mean, this is yeah, what it is ahead. to be a writer. You know, I mean, it's. Yeah. Um, what was the first thing you guys got paid for writing? It was actually the first script we ever wrote together. Uh, Deb had had an idea. We were just kind of. Deb was working as an assistant. I was kind of writing my own stuff. I was working with another friend, uh, and she was off on location working as an assistant on a movie. And she called me. She said, "I want to write something together." And she had an idea, and it was a romantic comedy idea. And we said, "Okay, let's try it." And uh, <laughs> and it was the only time we've ever written the two of us at the keyboard together. Right. Kind That's of, what you do on your first script. Right? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Ever, yeah. Nobody, nobody knows not, not to do that. Too. Okay. It always right. seems like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so inefficient, first of all. Inefficient. <laughs> I mean, inefficient time-wise yeah. and just unnecessary conflict. <laughs> and it was real. But we, we got through it and 
we managed to sell that script just, you know, and, and it was a very different time. What you know, was, were, let me interrupt for yeah. a second. Um, what were you guys doing at the time? You were an assistant. What were you doing? What was your day job at the time? Well, I was lucky enough that I was still living off of, oh, I, had just, <laughs> I had had the film school experience of making the student film that like won the award mm-hmm. and I got an agent and actually got a development deal right out of film school to write, wow. a, write a movie. It was like the dream come true. What I didn't realize was I had no fucking idea how to write a movie because all you do in film school at the time maybe it's changed but at the time you're just all about your short film 20 minutes I, I, knew, I knew how to write a really good 20 minute script um, just so a bunch of those together it was really difficult and I you know that, that deal went away very quickly but I was very frugal with the money that I made off of that pitch and was still kind of living off of that um, just kind of edging into going into debt uh, and figuring out what the next move is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then wh- why why him? Why did you call him with this? <laughs> um, you know, we were we met in film school, and then we were roommates. And it seemed like I don't know. I don't even know why. I mean, we'd known each other for so long, and it seemed like something that it needed a male voice. It was a romantic comedy, and I, people were kind of doing that then. There were there were more male female. Mm-hmm duos who were writing romantic comedies together that was that was the era it was the 90s and they were making a lot of those movies i have no idea i could have called anybody else (laughs) so interesting imagine what would have happened right i don't know um what was the story what was the script and, well, this will really very important yeah. story. Uh, <laughs> this will really date it. Um, it's. I mean, it was ultimate. I think it was like a sperm bank romantic comedy. It's about a woman who, oh, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it opens with a woman who, you know, she expects to get married, and she finds out the guy's cheating on her, and then she decides she's going to stick with her very kind of type A plan, and she's going to have a baby anyway because the clock is ticking. So she goes to sperm bank, and then we're cross cutting to a guy who's kind of an artist, very much, you know, her opposite. Imagine that in a romantic comedy. Um, and he's who, sort of broke, and his friend works at this sort of high-end Mensa-ish sperm bank, and he convinces <laughs> his friend to just let him donate for the cash. Great. And then, of course, she picks his, because he falsifies this whole application, and then he starts to feel this awful guilt that he's done something that he shouldn't have done, and that he just wants to see where it went. And he starts to follow her and inadvertently winds up bumping into her and meets her. And they become friends. And they fall in love. And he has, obviously, this big secret. He can't tell her <laughs> that, you know, he's the father of her baby. That this, was it. Uh, it feels like a movie. Uh, Doesn't what? it? <laughs> it did. What was You guys wrote it sitting in a room together. Yeah. yeah. Did you break the story? Like, how has your process changed over the years? We must have outlined at the time. I think we must have. I think we had a big outline at the Our time. Our process has not changed much because mm-hmm. the, we've tried. We tried once or twice to like, hey, let's do different, and it ne- yeah. it never works. Really? We have a very specific process, and if we diverge from it, it's a disaster. How's it go? Well, okay. So we we outline. We'll come up with the idea. We'll outline very specifically. Sometimes if we do, because we've actually sold a decent number of pitches where we'll outline for the pitch. So we'll have that mm-hmm. going, and then that always has to kind of be rearranged when you actually get to draft. But we'll re- we'll outline every scene. We know what every scene is. It's very detailed. It could be you know ten, twelve pages, single spaced yeah. outline. Wow. Um, and then we will always split up the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, depending on how it's going, like oh, I, you've had a decent decent run work writing for this character, so you stick with those scenes, and or, or we'll just do it kind of chronologically, depending on where we are in the script. We usually break up about two days worth of work, one or two days worth of work, and then we read, 
And now the change we've made, uh, you know, kind of over recent years is we never go back. Really? We, we used to go back and rewrite and tinker with scenes. Now it's just like, let's get that first draft out as fast as possible because we'll know what needs to change. Mm-hmm. So Which just, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You have the momentum behind you. We just power through yeah. to the end of a first draft. And then we sit down and a lot of times we have to re-outline. You know, you mm-hmm. have a problem somewhere you didn't see coming. Hmm. Um, and then we will kind of do that whole process all over again. The only time we write together is generally when we're we're polishing. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun. And we'll also... Wait, we, why is no, it wait, not fun? <laughs> well, it's just, you know, it's that because that's when you're like... You, you're just it's it takes it takes a while you yeah. know when you're alone the process is your process and you write and that's you're not waiting for somebody else to decide if they like it or not <laughs> you know and we have different we have different styles mm-hmm. you know I mean I think I'm like I like well I'll barrel head and then I'll go get some shit done and then I'll come back and I'll look at it again and Harry is like a thinker and he'll sit and he has like he's more I think he, you're like more process oriented like and he'll look at all the ways it's gonna go and then decide, you know, we just are different. So, like, you know, you don't want to sit and watch someone else make their sausage, no, no you, you know? Don't. So you're like, <laughs> I just want to go make mine, and you make yours, and we'll come back and look at it. So on a writing day, when each of you is working on scenes for a couple of days, mm-hmm. what does your day look like? Uh, I like to, if I'm drafting, I love to either be able to write first thing in the morning. I mean, a lot of people say this, but, like, first thing in the morning, so, uh, you know, the less I can think about what I'm doing, the faster it'll go. Mm-hmm. Um, so early is great. Well, like if I can drop the kids off and then write, that's great. So what is that? Um, like 30, eight o'clock. Yeah. Like eight, eight thirty, go. And then, but the truth is that rarely happens, you know? So like you got to write when you can write. So that's the ideal day. And I'm not a morning person. Uh, I'd much rather be writing at like nine o'clock at night, but, but family life oh. has changed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, then it's just, then it's just kind of just getting through it. And, you know, and there's some days where I'll be like. You know, I'll start, and then it's like, oh, shit, it's 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. i got to get this stuff done. But you do, I mean, it's interesting, and, and I work with a partner also, so we have this, that one, you have your scenes, right? Yeah. So you know you have to get these done, and mm-hmm. you're accountable to yeah. someone. That's what's great about it. goes a long it. way. Yeah. Yeah. So what does your writing day look like? Um, I'll get my kids up, i get them to school, and then I, I probably don't start until around 11. Because mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of crap in my house that needs to get done, and that's the time it usually gets quiet. Like everything, the phone is not ringing anymore, and everything is sort of settled. And the dogs are quiet-ish, um, and I'll usually write from like eleven until the kids come home at like three. Those are a pretty good chunk of time. And then you take you break for lunch though, right? I usually eat lunch at my desk. Oh, like okay. I'll wander, and this is like how I, act. I cut off my finger last year doing this because like I'll like wander into the kitchen and I'm still thinking, and then I cut off my finger, <laughs> um, and I just eat it because I'm I'm just in that that's if mm-hmm. I eat like I'm just that's I take that chunk of time and then I deal with my kids and then usually I might I'll probably go back around like eight hmm. um, and look at things again. Because a lot of times when I'm either cooking or I'm giving someone a bath or I'm just, I start to think of like a joke or how I could have done something better and I'll go back and I'll look at it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the time away is really helpful, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Do you see yourselves as having a specific job in that first draft or is it just to get it done? Um, No, I mean, I don't want to... I never want to just rush through it just to have it. I mean, I'd like there mm-hmm. to be something solid there to, you know, 
build on. I mean, it's not, you know, it's funny. I looked back at, the, you know, this was a short script. It didn't take us very long, the first Mary and Jane pilot. But what was interesting was I actually found a very first draft. And there was stuff that we shot that was first pass. Like literally first pass out of, you know, your computer or mine. And it, that, it, that's actually fun. Um, that's really satisfying. Uh, when it's just, you know, you just kind of find it right away. Yeah. And, uh, and it happens. I mean, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so this first script, you guys wrote it together, um, and it sold. Yes. It sold. We also, you know, it was it was a f- it crazy was like fun wild time. Wild West. I know someone wrote a book about or an article about it. Recently, oh, yeah, there's an article about, like, on Vanity Fair about that recently. Boom in the '90s mm-hmm. and how crazy it was. But I was working at um, at Columbia, and I had a friend who, um, you know, at that time, coverage on scripts nothing was um there wasn't really a database at that time like we still we had, we had like word processors but it wasn't and p- coverage was typed out and um mm-hmm. on the top you you would black out you know who covered the script and who you know uh who wrote it and i had a friend do coverage on the script on like the official mm-hmm. paper and then black it out with a sharpie, and then it was photocra- uh, photocopied, like you know, five times over, so it looked a little bit like it had been handled a couple of times. <laughs> and then they sent that out. So we kind of leaked That's coverage right. of our it's own script, that saying recommend. Read it, but it, it so wasn't funny. glowing coverage. It was realistic coverage. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't right. like this is the greatest thing ever. Right. It was like it was totally believable, realistic <laughs> coverage that we sent around. Before or and th- these were also the days when you, when you sent out a spec script, you literally sent it had to be hand delivered. Sure, you had to print copies. People yeah. would go, and then there was a certain fund. There was there was just a real fun to like it's out, it's going out. People are reading it, it really and then funny. you know there was always a clock on it. Like mm-hmm. they're d- going to decide by Friday at five <laughs> who they're going to sell it to. But this would happen multiple times a week. Somebody would go out with a big spec. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very very different time. Wait, um, didn't you have an agent at the time? You no, know, the, the agents did this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but in no, terms no, of no, the, no, no I'm sorry, no, agent. no, no. This, the, I think the the coverage, the fake coverage, is what helped us get the agent and manager. Oh, interesting. Because okay. we did not, so we were not represented. School, I came know. out. I had an agent, but be, again, that whole thing, it all kind of went went. I was in New York at the time, and it all just kind of went away. Okay, you know. <laughs> so I kind of had to start over when I came out yeah. here. Uh, but yeah, that's how we got a manager, and then the manager took us around to the different agencies, and it was it was a it was a really kind of fun, heady time. Uh, and then we we basically chose an agency based on like, oh, we they they're cool, they have dogs in their office. Yeah, <laughs> you still with them? No, no, the, no, no, neither of them are agents anymore. No, neither of them are agents well, anymore. Uh, so this film did not get made. No, nope. did not get made. Uh, but. Someone bought it, and your names were out there as people who know what they're doing. Well, what was great was the the, the co- yeah. I don't know about that, but well, actually, yeah, we, we did get a, you know somebody bought the script. It didn't get made, um, but we did get we started you know having meetings on other projects because people like the script. But the other thing, the best thing that happened was the producers who bought the script. It was the Lad Company. It was Alan Ladd Jr., oh, okay. which obviously that's exciting because he's just old Hollywood, and we developed a relationship with them. And at the time. They were shooting the Brady Bunch movie, mm-hmm. and that was sort of just our jam growing up. I mean, I we could probably right now put on an episode of the Brady Bunch, <laughs> the two of us here, just know every single episode. And we got to walk around. The set was up on one of the stages oh at Paramount, gosh. and we had gone there to meet and you know do some work on the script. And they said, do you want to go over and see 
the house. And were you, you were just brought in to do like on? Yeah, no, 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 this was no, on our you know, on our move. This our was on way. our little spec that you we know, got sold. You're doing the re- you know when you sell the spec, you owe them rewrites right. and stuff. It's part of the deal. So we came over to a meeting, do some notes, and they said, "Do you want to see the house?" And we're like, "Do we?" And brought a camera, brought a camera, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if it was a 110, but, it, you know, it might have might as well been. <laughs> it was and a disc camera. It was just my disc camera, <laughs> my panorama. Um, and then we went to the house and we took pictures of ourselves in every room of the house. Like, I mean, I almost cried. It was the most magical thing. It was walk. It, it was there was nothing like it because it was a it was a full. They actually had a four walled set. It wasn't even like a three walled. Like oh, it wow. was you were inside the Brady house laid out. So all the rooms connected from the backyard to the front door. You were stepping inside of a fictional world and you were it was really nothing like it was like being inside of the Death Star. It was like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> in my mind. Um, so when they set to do the sequel, they knew what fans we were. And they said, do you want to take a crack at writing the sequel? And that was like, that's like being handed the golden ticket for us. Did you have to pitch on it? Did you pitch ideas? Yes, we we did. did. We pitched to the studio, but we were it was, it was a different time, and that I think we were the writers they brought in, and we pitched it, and they said, "Okay, great." It wasn't like they heard a dozen right. different takes. Yeah, you know, we said Carol's husband comes back. Mm-hmm. You know what happened to him? He comes back. He's going to disrupt the family, and there's that horse. And they were like, <laughs> oh, "Okay, we get it." You know. I mean, and, we were yeah. so sort of like, you know, we were such super fans. I think they just they figured like we had it. Yeah. So we uh, and that then that became because that movie went right into production. Mm-hmm. So we went from writing just you know selling a spec to being produced writers, which changed the game on another sure. level. Because then we start getting brought in to do production rewrites or you know just it, it and and things were going in that direction where we'd do rewrites, we'd sell a pitch, hmm. and then at a certain point we had done a rewrite on a movie. Um, that just it was one of those experiences where it, the movie just was so wildly different than what our draft was that we decided, all right, this we got to start making our own movies. We have hmm. to start directing. And uh, we actually were in the process of making a deal to write some big movie, and we backed out, wow. um, pissed some people off. Uh, it was actually going to be an adaptation of Gulliver's Travels. <laughs> that, yeah, I remember that we were like ready to do it, and there was another one too. There was that. There was the, there were two with the same producer, and he was annoyed at us for a little while, but he got over it. We've worked with him since. Um, I'll remind her of who it was later. Uh, Harry but, um, remembers everything I remember. Um, really? But we were like, "Sorry, we can't do it. We're not going to do these. We're going to write our own thing." And mm-hmm. that became "Can't Hardly Wait," which was a similar story to what we did with Mary and Jane, which was we just said, "You know, what? let's just write something that we can just shoot our on our own." We you know. We figured, you know, if we shoot a, par- a movie set at a party, at the very least, we'll like literally just throw a party and shoot <laughs> scenes around right. the party, and you know, maybe we'll do it over a weekend. Uh, and There's only so badly this can go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We know the, the best thing is we, the original initial idea is we'll do it all in one take. It'll be a wonder. Oh my God. And then that quickly went out the window. Yeah. But um, but we knew at the time we knew a lot of young actors, so we we're like, all right, well let's let's just do a high school movie. And it's not like there were a ton of high school movies out at the time. It was one of those other things where we weren't trying to catch a trend. We just thought, and it, it, in fact, the thing we said was nobody's really done a good high school oh, movie in a while. They'd done Clueless, but that seemed so rooted in kind of that Beverly Hills. Yeah. It was so specific. Nobody had done kind of a John Hughesy high school movie. So we just wrote it. You know, again, just to be something, if we needed to, we could raise the money and do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And just when we finished the script, Scream came out. <laughs> and suddenly... All the studios were looking for teen movies. Oh, that's funny. So we had one, you know, and and uh, 
sold it, and it was a super, super fast process from selling it to being in production to being in theaters. Were there... There must have been changes from that initial passion draft. That you, you know, know what's interesting is we threw out the first draft. We wrote a draft, and, and uh, the characters were all friends. It was about three guys who were mostly all friends going to this graduation party, and they each had their things. And when we read it back, we realized, you know what? We're not seeing enough of the whole high school experience. Hmm. We're not... Because they're too similar. The three main characters are a little too similar. So we threw that out and then rewrote it with the way it is now, with a kind of intersecting storylines of a bunch of different people from different strata in the, in the you know, in high school. Uh, and then somebody else said, claimed that they read that original draft. You're, you're going to have to say his name now because you've I can't. I can't do it. I can't. <laughs> say it we'll bleep it. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, we created a very successful <laughs> high school franchise off of the model of our first draft. Wow. Okay. Um, but, uh, but. Oh, you did that well. <laughs> Finesse. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know if that's true or not, but he did tell us. Uh, he said it at the time. He, he might deny it now. He told, it to, our, he told it to our faces. Uh, but what was interesting in terms of the studio notes, because once we turned that draft in, it was, it was, uh, they were ready to make the movie. And that was part of the deal was you got to make this movie mm-hmm. off this script. But the studio, to their credit, said the ending should be a little messier. Oh, interesting. We had kind of wrapped things up a little too neatly in the spec. And they said, it, not every storyline should have, like, the most happy ending. And I think that's why at the end, you know, William the, and yeah, William and, uh, you know, the kind of the nerd character and the jock, they don't end up friends. Because it felt more real. It's funny. It's a really good note. I think people respond to that sort of messy ending. Yeah. yeah. Did the script look like what the final movie looks like? I mean, was the structure the same? Mm-hmm. Or was that found in editing? No, it's very. We think it was very much what was scripted. Maybe a couple of scenes may have shifted. Right. You know, we designed a lot of that to be. You know, a lot of those shots to be continuous shots where mm-hmm. you would follow a character through the house, and we built that the interior of that house specifically to have those steadicam shots where you would follow a character from one room and then pick up another character and cross with them. Because we were dealing with you know characters who didn't know each other, it felt like it'd be great to connect them within a shot in that location mm-hmm. so you'd see you know one and unfortunately we had to we had to cut a lot of those out because and this is the craziest reason but we were going to lose our PG-13 rating because of the unsupervised drinking in the movie so anytime somebody had like a bottle of whiskey you know there were just props Beer. you know that you could clearly see somebody doing a shot or something we had to cut it we had to literally cut that out wow. or and it was the very early days of CG like we'd like and somebody's doing like a funnel with a, <laughs> with a bottle of vodka it's a balloon they're holding it they just CG'd in a balloon but that was wildly expensive so we couldn't do it every time so there's a lot of flash frames where it looks like someone's taking a picture that cut up all oh, those sure. sort of beautiful shots that Lloyd Ahern <laughs> helped us design and you know Oh I mean, my gosh. the whole thing look it was a really lovely experience and I remember you know Betty Thomas saying like pulling us aside and saying, you're never going to have this experience again. Hmm. It was really, it was really nice because everyone was there because, you know, they wanted to be there. No one got, again, no one got paid a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And we shot it in, what, 26, Very, It was very quickly, but it was fun. And it was, people say, was it really fun? You know, because it was a party. It it really did. Every day Hmm. was like you were at a party. Well, it feels like, I mean, there's not a lot of money involved. You have this young cast. You guys are pretty new. Um, like that's the trade-off, right? Is you get to make this thing that you want to make because if, it seems like the stakes were much lower. 
Yeah, the stakes were super low. I mean, it was still it. it was still a big studio movie, but for it was a low right. budget. You know, you could make a movie for under ten million dollars at the studio level right. then, uh, which is what it was. Yeah, like I don't know how well I would do with like the tons of money and like you know some star who has 40 people that you have to put on the payroll and like waiting an hour for them to come out of their trailer especially now as a parent when I don't have the tolerance for like a kid slowing you down and going like come on seriously get we're going you know like what what's taking so long like you know I don't know it's just when you see how easy it can be with a bunch mm-hmm. of people who are just there for the love of what we're doing and who are excited to be there and doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's what made every day, like, you know, and Mary and Jane, like, we were shooting, you know, some days, like, I think there was a day when Phil Trail shot, was it 12 pages? Yeah. Wow. And, and you moved and, a third and, of the script. And you're exhausted. But, you know, you're having so much fun and everybody is laughing and enjoying it. And every person on the crew, even is having a good time it you, it does it flies by mm-hmm. and you don't but then you could be doing some other movie and you have to shoot you know a page and a half and it feels like it takes days um have you guys and you don't have to say what it was but have you just taken the money on oh, projects yeah oh my yeah. god we spent we probably spent a good 10 years just taking the money honestly i mean we, i mean when you know like after we when we made Josie and the pussycats that movie came out and we felt i think really beat up after that movie came out and we decided what? we were going to be well you look at the time we actually got some really great reviews but it just it just tanked i mean it was a oh. movie that was it wasn't the making of it it was no the no well the, the making of it was difficult in that we Really, we're trying to do something, you know, we were trying to do kind of world creation and satire. And at the same time, it was a property that was kind of aimed at 13-year-old girls. So it was a really weird, we, we met with a producer who basically, when we, Mark Platt produced the movie, it was the first movie he produced after being with the studio. And I remember in that first meeting, he said, the reason you should hire me is because uh, what I want to protect is what you've done. Because the last thing you want to do is create a feathered fish. You know, because it, which is, you know, just it doesn't right. work. It's just too many of and I'm going to help you not do that. And I think ultimately the movie <laughs> was a bit of a feathered fish in that in terms of the way the studio wanted to sell it. Um, and, not, and by the way, it's Josie and the Pussycats. It should be sold to, you know, right. a younger audience. It was just I we mean, decided yeah. to make a satire. I mean, they probably never should have let us make like a comment on, on you know, corporate evil and. Um, brainwashing children through music. <laughs> like the movies we talked about like, while making that movie were Fight Club. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Pussycats. You know, it was, it was, uh, but again, like, you know, that's on us. But, but also, they let you make the movie you that, wanted to make. Absolutely. And, and yes, absolutely. And then released got, it with a full. We got hammered. Like uh-huh. people, you, and you know, it's now I know I don't, I just don't read the comments. I don't read the reviews. Right. I don't read the comments. My daughter will like open up her laptop and she's like, wow, look at what they're saying. I'm like, don't look at what they're saying. <laughs> just close it. Because even if they're saying, if you have to believe the nice things, you have to believe the bad things too. You know, and if people want to dump all over you at the same time, they're going to praise you. Like, I just, I don't want to know at all. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Sure. Um, but at that point, you know, it was, it was ugly. It was and it ugly. also was, you know, it was. And we were unhirable. Right. Suddenly that was we the problem. Unhirable. Well, it's, it's that director jail thing. you hear. And it's, it, look, it, it is, there's director jail. And there's also what happens is you start, because we were offered scripts. And we were, by the way, offered scripts that went on to become big hit movies. But some of them we felt like we had done before. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't want to do another teen movie. We really, we, you know, we had, we, we were aspiring to do something kind of, uh, more ambitious than the movies we had done, so we really were going to try and focus on that. So we passed on a lot of movies that people would offer us, offer us as directors. 
Um, and then they stop offering, you know, because then you haven't made movies and mm-hmm. you're kind of out of the game. And what we did instead was we chose to kind of focus on our own scripts that we would make movies as directors. And then in the meantime, just get hired to work on stuff. And that's in terms of just sure. taking the money. We'd pitch things. We would do rewrite work. And we really found ourselves in a good place business-wise of being very hireable, especially in that hmm. romantic comedy world. Um, and th- and that ended up taking the time away from the other movies. The we movies we were supposed make. to direct, right. because That's it was my question. Once you start getting paid, it's hard to turn down the work. It's you know, it's not like we come from a ton of money. Right. You know, we and we also started having families. We got married. We had families and bought houses. So suddenly you get into this place where it's like, what are we? We're not going to take this job, or they want to pay us all this money to to write a script, or so. You know, we focused on that primarily, mm-hmm. uh, and then. Those movies went away. Well, and also there was a writer's sure. strike. The writer's strike is what really kind of happened, and like you know, the bottom dropped out, and um, you know, you had to everyone had to sort of rethink everything. Mm-hmm. I think after that, um, and they really didn't go back to making any of the kind of movies that we liked or that we normally get hired for, and the movies that we were writing on spec that we were about to direct, those went away too, hmm. um, and we really found ourselves kind of at square one. Um, and it's been really, it's been a really interesting, but I, I think what's, what's kind of, there was a, like a bit of a silver lining to that, which I think it, it made us sort of look creatively about at what we were doing and to refocus and go, okay, you know, there's a reason I really do believe that like that happened to sort of redirect us and say, okay, let's stop making the same thing over and over again. And let's reach a little bit and go, okay, maybe our best work is actually ahead of us. You know, maybe this is not the end. Maybe this is the beginning of something else. Mm-hmm. And we started to just write things like Mary Jane, things that were just a little weird and out there. And it took a little while for some of them to get traction. But, you know, now we have things sitting around that we can't even do anything with because we're so busy with other things, right. which I think is really wonderful. And I imagine you guys, uh, you know, you, you got into this business because you love movies and you want to keep making movies in addition to the TV shows. Are you finding with these other outlets there's an opportunity to make the you know budgeted movies or the kinds of movies that you guys want to make? I mean, I think uh, you know the, the, when we talk about those things, we do talk about more character-driven stories, which it seems like there is more opportunity in television to do that. That said, there are you know we're talking about movie ideas that I think that our approach has changed. Our approach has changed to the business, which is we're not interested now in trying to come up with a big pitch. Look, it's not going to happen. You know, it's, it's a waste of time to try and come up with that big pitch and just, you know, make a big sale and uh, and get into the development game. For us now, it's just we're going to write a movie and we're going to attach as many elements as we can and we'll mm-hmm. go out with it as a movie and try and get it made as opposed to... Uh, I mean, I, you know, I still get excited. I went to the movies the other night and they showed a bunch of... Tra- Every time a trailer starts, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited like... Like I'm nine again. Yeah. Um, and I think there, I think you can get those movies made. I, there was a movie. I, I'm going to get the title wrong. Um, with Haley Steinfeld, I think it's called. It's called Edge of Seventeen. Oh yeah. And they showed the trailer, and I was like, "That looks great. How'd that get made?" And Jim Brooks produced it, and Woody Harrelson is in it, and it looks lovely and charming and adorable, and it made me so happy. And not like. I wish I'd made that movie, but just so happy that that mm-hmm. movie got made and people are going to get to go see it. And that means maybe more movies like that will get made. Yeah. 
and you know, I get bummed when I go in the summer and like every movie is some superhero I've never heard of the trailer before. <laughs> and you know, there's space for that, but like it bums me out because mm-hmm. I think like, oh, for like one of those, you could probably make like. 13 of those Haley Steinfeld movies <laughs> that I really want to see. Yeah. But, like, you know, look, there's got to be space for everything, I guess. Well, it does feel like it's swinging back. Uh, God, I hope so. Whether it's, you know, the theatrical release is one thing, but Netflix is making a movie that has that kind of budget, has that kind of story, you know? Uh, and I think other outlets will, too. Cable will, HBO will, whatever. Yeah. Um, listen, I've kept you guys long enough. Um, Mary and Jane is still on MTV. People yeah. should watch it. Have you planned five seasons of this show? No, we're going on the same logic <laughs> as the reading writers. We're not We're not talking about season two until we know we have the Our, pickup. We, are, we were That's told fair. to behave as if there is no season two. That's crazy. There should be. I, behave as if there's no season two. We're fair. looking for our next job. That's fair. Uh, let me just ask you guys and what you are watching on television these days, what movies you have seen that excite you, what is getting you inspired, what you're talking about with each other. With I knew you'd do this, <laughs> so I had to write it down so I wouldn't forget. Oh, right? you're good. You're the first person to ever Well, I, I listened, to the, I listened to the podcast, and I was like, I'm going to forget. Okay, so I have. These are my this, what I've been watching on TV. Love Game of Thrones. Love Stranger Things. Bob's Burgers. Oh, Silicon yeah. Valley. Yeah. Girls. Love the OJ show. Um, review. Wait, which one? The, the I love F- both F- of them, by the way. I had no idea the that my ASPM summer one? was going to be filled with OJ. Right? None of us did. Both were great. Both yeah. were fantastic. And, and great together. Yeah. Yeah. Companion piece. Like, yeah. Uh, Black Mirror I loved. I haven't seen that. Did I say girls? Mm-hmm. You did see girls. Okay. But you can uh, twice. Why not? I say review. Andy did show. not say review. review. Not enough people talk about oh, review. Oh, man. Review. We just so have a show good. where we talk about review. Andy Daly mm-hmm. is in the finale, oh, our great. season finale, and he, he's I mean, so there's just no one better. Yeah. He's so funny. Shout All right, I'll let you Andy go. Daly. You go. That, that's kind of my list. Have I mean, you seen only, any movies? Um, I not, you know, I don't get to see a lot of movies because I have two kids and I kind of have, to, like, anytime there's time to see a movie, it kind of winds up being the yes. movie I see with them. Uh, I like so, Don't Think Twice a lot. Oh, I did. I did see Don't mm-hmm. Think Twice. I did like that. Um, it's like I forget. I see a movie and I forget. I do too. Anything. Like oh, I my, saw. What was my favorite movie of the year? You loved Sing uh, Street. Oh my god. Yeah, Sing Street. Oh, see Sing Street. It. You see more times. movies than I do. You also saw uh, the Linkletter movie that I really want to see, oh, which yeah. you really liked. Oh yeah. That I, was you know, great. it's like I for, I can't remember. Any, I've like I've this part of my brain is just completely dead. <laughs> It's like the part that remembers everything that happened five minutes ago. I'm like a fish. Yeah, I saw. Well, we're taking in so much stuff these days. Street is so good. It's so good, you guys. It's so good. Like I like Hail Caesar too. Eighties and the eh. Oh my god! It gets an eh. It gets an (laughs) eh. Loved it. I don't know. It's fun. eh. But what's your Coens? Um, I I mean, look, I Raising Arizona was like my favorite favorite movie, and. I mean, get a big Lebowski, and you know, I think I go. I think I go like early period Coens. Mm. Um, I'm I, gonna throw out. I loved a Serious Man. I did love a Serious Man. I didn't see it. It sounds very serious. It is very. It's, it's you know, it's so a bit of a good. slog, but like it's it's very rewarding. But right. again, like it's you gotta really you gotta have some patience with that one. That's fair. <laughs> Um, I'm going to watch Sing Street you know what? instead. You definitely watch Sing Street. Like, I don't know when you grew up, but you seem significantly younger than I am. But, I like, am not. It is, it, it, it is a real winner. It is fantastic. Right. It'll make you forget that movie he made in the middle. Wait, I don't even know who made it. John, John Carney he made once. <laughs> oh, which I also didn't see. Oh, my I God. I don't see musicals. It's not a musical. 
there's singing. It sounds like a musical. It's a musical (laughs) in that, like, there's a lot of music within the movie, but it's not really people bursting into song. It's a kid who wants to. Does music give you seizures? Do we go to seizures? All right, then you should be fine. All right. I'll probably live through it. I mean, it's not Les Mis. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) I think we can all agree. Uh, you guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This Thanks. was a real pleasure. Uh, come you. back and talk to us soon. We'd love to. Thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 